questions that don't have clear answers, issues that can't be resolved through logical analysis, and moments in our lives that can't be engaged with and understood on one's own. Welcome to Ajar, an experiment in collaborative meaning-making with author and professor Joan Ball, strategist Rebecca Taylor, and artist and educator A.M. Bott. This monthly podcast follows weekly Substack articles, one from each member of Ajar, on a topic that is at once timeless and, given where we are in the world, of immediate concern. This month's topic is God. So, question to start us off. I wrote my article that um, I did pro bono work for UCC, and, and one of the things, yeah, it was obvious before that work, it's that young people don't go to church. And and just, you know, increasingly over the years and, and the past couple of decades, they do not go to church. And so the, 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 the question to start us off is, um, the question that UCC was uh, wrestling with is, what place does God have? in the lives of, of the people who are growing up in, in this era, right? Kind of hyper-connected, digital, plague, climate collapse, political insanity, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, and maybe then we could, I mean, I think in our articles, we, we, we each kind of spoke to the place that God has for us in our lives in the context of, you know, our specific lives. And I think if you look at them, it can point to some generational, you know, utility that God had to be, to be, you know, maybe overly uh, uh, tactical or transactional about it. Uh, but, uh, but, but, but the question that occurs to me now as we're starting is, what place does God have in the lives of, you know, someone who's 23 right now? I think it depends upon a lot of different factors. So I know a number of young people who do go to church, right? So for those people, there is uh, a particular kind of community and um, a culture, really, that they experience uh, in those spaces. And the transitional aspect of that in that age of 23, right, of, of most of them came up in those circles with their parents guiding them and in some cases frantically guiding them to stay within those circles and to, uh, you know, get them established so that then when they go out on their own, they can then, you know, take and carry it with them for fear of what you're describing, right? That they will lose it, that it will lose its relevance to them. Uh, I also deal with uh, a number of young people who um, are kind of seeking and searching in that. And so I think when I talk to them, the question is exactly the question you're asking. What relevance is it? But there is some desire to have something, right? Something of God, something of uh, a notion of something bigger. But they're, they're constructing it, which is interesting. And then there's the community of people who really feel that it is... Uh, either not available to them or they're rebelling against it or they have no desire to have it. And for those, um, it's, a, it's a, a totally different kind of an experience of, of chatting with them. So I think, um, like anything else, I think when we talk about young people, we just have to kind of bring the nuance of that into the, the very, very varied experience that people have. Because for some people, 
their grounding in God is what's helping them deal with all of this uncertainty and all of these big challenges that you described. Uh, and for others, it's evidence that God doesn't have relevance in in the world that we are are living in. So I think um, it's an interesting time, uh, but not the first interesting time <laughs> in human history for people to be thinking about questions of God. So I had two immediate thoughts when you asked this question, um, and I think they both point to something different and, and interesting. Uh, the first was um, two months ago when we were here recording the podcast, I, I went to church um, on Yale's campus on a Sunday morning because it was the first time we'd been here over a weekend, over a Sunday. And I went to their gorgeous church. And of course, I got there 15 minutes early. You know, my Catholic mother's voice in my head of be on time to church, you know, um, and it was empty. And four minutes before, and it was still empty, and I just had this feeling of like, oh, there's going to be three of us in here. And then it filled up with beautiful young people from all walks of life, all ethnicities, all backgrounds, I think different kinds of religions as well. Um, it was very clear that it was a multi, multi-faith approach. It wasn't, it was leaning you know, very strongly in Catholic directions, but it wasn't a, a traditional Catholic mass. And the students were very much leading it and, and giving uh, different conversations. And what was most beautiful to me in it was a challenging of all these notions of traditional religion that have brought people to the conclusions you were alluding to, that there's no place for God in this world. And there was a rethinking of how... Um, we look at God and disability and how it's typically taught in church and then how we bring that into our lives of, of praying for people and the implication of brokenness. And it was the most beautiful exploration of contemporary top or, you know, important timeless topics through a new lens. And I left invigorated and believing that there is a place for faith in these young people's lives and that the religions we've cast aside because they're so problematic can be rethought and there are people out there willing to do this. So that's sort of one thread. The other thread is conversations I've been having with my um, college age niece who grew up uh, in a very, you know, spiritual home and going to church and witnessed, you know, some fairly reprehensible behavior at this church that led her to sort of abandon religion and, and declare a few years ago she didn't believe in religion and she wasn't sure she believed in God anymore. And now she's found her way back to God away from religion and in a much healthier way, I think, in a personalized relationship and through the exploration of values first looking at, you know, what the role of God could be for someone like her in her life and is exploring lots of different religions and how they can support her in her faith. So she's really interested in Sophism now and she's interested in secular Buddhism and, and all of it is bringing her back to the same faith that she once had but with new structures for the world she lives in now, for her beliefs that works with her social justice beliefs, um, and the values she brings from this new perspective. And so in both of those different 
cases, I see that we need God more than ever, and there absolutely is room for it within this new paradigm, but it just all has to be rethought. The system structures, the same breaking down uh, that needs to happen of patriarchy and other structural systems, I think it needs to happen with religion as well, you know, but the faith component is, is, a, is as important as ever, I think. It's interesting in the way both of you answered uh, this this sort of, and I think it is it is generational, and I, it, it is something I think that these guys are jettisoning, and it's a beautiful you know kind of manifestation. Uh, uh, well, let me hold that thought. Uh, the sort of intermingling of of God, religion, church as as like just linked, right? And um, but then in the in the in the experience you're speaking to, it's it's. You know, I hear a relatively God-free, you know, relative to what God has meant in Western society for you know many centuries, right? Um, an authority, a you know, uh, anthropomorphized uh, being, uh, a sentient being, a you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like a thing. And I do think that is that is dying in the sense of a a, a place of concern. And what I was going to say a second ago is, you know, it's sort of it's it's you know the West conquered the East geographically, and the East conquered the West uh, psychologically and philosophically. The Buddhists don't care about God. Like it's not that like God exists doesn't exist, but but Buddhism is like I, I, I don't know. We're talking about how to live, right? And and Buddhism is fundamentally unconcerned about the notion of God. Taoism uh, is unconcerned. Uh, Hinduism has got two schools to it. One is God is nothing you can name. The you know, school of uh, uh, negation, you know, God is not this, not that, not that. And if you could negate everything, whatever is left is God. But of course, you can just keep saying God is not this cup, God is not this, right? And so you never end it. And so it's fundamentally unknowable. And the other school is God is everything. God is, you know, like an elephant-headed uh, child who uh, uh, enjoys butter and sugar and, and is the protector of X. God is like an ascetic on the mountain. God, and so everything is God. But both of those paths lead to the same thing, like, like God as a you know, single anthropomorphized being, entity, noun, irrelevant. Right? And that, that I do, so, so I, I agree with both of you that, that you know, in the room I was talking about, like the, last Thursday's clubhouse room, like that's church enough for me, that's God enough for me, and I reference Tuesday tea. Danielle, who's you know been been a, a central sort of uh, space holder for Tuesday Tea, is referred to it as yeah, this is church. Uh, Shannon, who I think both of you uh, know at least in passing, has referred to it that way. Not church, like in the sense of design, but it's what ensues from the experience. And I think there's an absolute appetite for that. Um, but this idea of a you know a being out there the way that it's existed in the West for, you know, for, for many centuries now. That is sort of, again, not universally, of course, because any cohort you can speak of, whether it's a generational cohort or a geographic cohort, it doesn't apply to all of them by any means. But um, this sort of decoupling of, of concerns about, you know, who's out there, you know, what do they look like, what do they want, what are their rules, right? like that seems to be sort of slipping away and it is in parallel with you know listen we've we, we we've uh, killed the god of uh, gender roles we've killed like if you think of god as authority which is what god has been in the west for again for for 2000 years god as authority the one who says how things are you know what the rules are we've killed the god of gender norms for, you know or at least in the process of killing the god of well i won't list them all right but we're killing all the gods all, all the authorities right and so why would they want 
a being out in the universe that's, you know, kind of issuing memos about what the rules are, you know, while at the same time, uh, again, very much aligned that, 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 that desire for that value in that experience of something bigger than that wonder that, that church that, you know, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's very prevalent, but it's not about God in the sense that we might've thought about it, you know, when we were growing up or at least what we might've been surrounded by. I think I'll just push back on that a little bit insofar as I view it as an oversimplification of the God of the West being a God of rules only, right? So I think rules, yes, but there's, there are other aspects of those traditions that are, n- are less about rules and more about relationship. And I think the the notion of a relationship with something as opposed to just guidance in how to live. There's something else there that I don't pretend for a moment to be able to describe, an experiential aspect of mystery that I think has been lost in, or was lost in a lot of 20th century uh, and perhaps before 20th century, right? So, so kind of historically, uh, but certainly 20th century is my experience, right? My best experience. I did not grow up in a faith. I did not grow up in a tradition. So, uh, and I didn't come to believe in God until I was 37 years old. So um, it's a little bit different in terms of this kind of the belief that you come to and leave and so on and so forth. I wasn't acculturated in a faith uh, or a belief system at all. I was acculturated to not believe and brought up to not believe, uh, to believe in oneself as, uh, as the uh, arbiter of, of, uh, of one's life. So the rules, part of it, yeah, but um, there's also some other things there that I think are interesting. Right. So, yeah, r- rules, of course, are only a part of it, but, but, but they are an important part of it. Right. But you're making my point because the, the implied in how you said this is exactly what uh, uh, the deal is in the West. It's a relationship with a proper noun. Right. God in the West is a proper noun and singular. Now, your experience may be different, but again, the design no, of the, the system. No, God in the West is a trinity, which is a relationship between a kind of rule-based figure in God. I think Father. the Jews and the, and the Muslims who are also in the Western Abrahamic may, may disagree with you, but, but, but I take your point. Christianity is a, is a trinity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, I mean, that's where I'm coming from is, is, is kind of viewing it that way. But we can go monotheistic, whatever, and, and, and these are, you know, kind of, it's above my pay grade mm-hmm. to understand the nuances of theology. I'm not a theologian, um, and nor do I pretend to be. But... That Trinitarian view of kind of a father authority and then a son um, that, that is more kind of experienced and then a Holy Spirit that I think has been forgotten in much of kind of, again, that 20th century uh, notion and pro- probably before. But again, I'm not a theologian or a historian of, of religions. So it's more, you know, what's in front of me, that, how I think about this. That third aspect has been more of my experience with it, the, the mystery of it. And in many ways, I think when we talk about um, the relevance of uh, 
certainly the Christian faith, which is what I'm most familiar with. I know a bit about, you know, but, you know, so many people know a bit about so many religions and then talk like they know them. There have been lost in the view of the authority side of that triptych that I think has made it less relevant than it would be if people remembered the mystery of it. And I think the mystery is what takes it away from now. That mystery has been lost. That's my point, is, is, is the God that they got handed down was authority figure. That's exactly my For point. Sure. And they're abandoning that. That was, that was my only point, right? That, that, that the relevance of, an, of, of a personified deity, whether it's a single or, or, or three, right? It's still personification. It's still three entities. It's a finite kind of, these are the three, that's it, right? That's still a finite understanding, you know, that we can define them. It's got three aspects, Right. It still brings it into a finite fixed. This is how it is. Right. Yeah, I don't want to lose too much time on, on going, but in its fixity of this is how it is, it says and how it is is unknowable. <laughs> right. So so it's it's a, a kind of a paradoxical both end, because as it is saying, here's a way to think about this. Yeah. But however, however, scripturally, it is unknowable. So even as you enter into this place of structured yeah, yeah. inquiry, the actual knowing is impossible. So it, it's, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think it is less firm and structured than what you're describing. Yeah, again, I, I'm, I'm not speaking to it as, as you know, sort of um, a philosophical conversation. I'm saying the on-the-ground experience of people who go to church in, in Des Moines, Iowa, you know, uh, uh, at the age of eight, likely they're getting or have gotten, um, uh, you know, in the, in the later 20th century, if they grew up in the early 21st century, they've gotten this is how it is. Right. Now, the actual exploration inquiry of it. Yeah, of course, we're, we're very much aligned. But but the but the day to day and it's again, it's it's convenience. Right. It's it's here you go. This is how the universe is. Be good. Right. That's just. That's just how people are raised because it's practical. Who, you know, how many people sit around with their families you know, on a Thursday afternoon and say, okay, let's inquire into the actual nature of the Holy Spirit. Right? That's just not happening historically in, in this country. You know? it's, this is how it is. And I think my point was just that, that, that this generation is sort of those things, the kind of this is how it is. They're like, yeah, no, maybe not. The experience of it and the communities, I think, I think it is very, very relevant. But the this is how it is, it's like, eh, yeah, okay, yeah. maybe it is for you. I'm not so interested. You know? That's my only point, is, is that this is how they're growing up in the same way that, again, gender roles and, and all of this is like, this is how it is, right? People weren't sitting around questioning, well, no, actually, sexuality is a continuum. And like, where is that conversation happening? For now, these kids have brought that conversation in full force in our face and good for them, right? Along with a whole bunch of other sort of, sort of just assumptions about how the universe should be structured, you know? And, and again, that, 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 that's all I'm pointing to, is not the philosophical, theological sort of, you know, what is the, you know, sort of inquiry into it, but the fact that most folks are raised to not inquire and to just say, this is how it is. And the younger generation is like, yeah, maybe not. Yeah, you may be right, because I wasn't raised with that, so I don't know. I know that is with an inquiry of, of the mystery of, of, of these three entities and et cetera, et cetera? No, I was raised that there is no God and anybody who believes right. in God is weak and 
<laughs> and, right. and and doesn't know right. you know how to how to live their life and that yeah. they're grasping at crutches. Yeah. So um, yeah, I didn't have to worry about any of that. I could do whatever I wanted because uh, I was God, right? right? right. <laughs> Actually, right. my father was God, and then I was a demigod yeah. in, in the making, right? Yep. So that's what I was raised to. However, I do have these conversations with young people, and they're very eager to have them, right? Absolutely. So I guess my last word on this, just because I think it can be circular in these kind of things, uh, but, I, but I do think it's important in terms of how I view this. For me, the mystery is not philosophical, and the mystery is not theological. The mystery is in practice daily. And so I think that it often gets that way, right, where people are trying to define and so on and so forth. For myself, I am much more interested in how to engage with the mystery in the day-to-day mundane. And I, you know, kind of pointed to that a little bit in my blog this month, but uh, it's how I live my life on a daily basis. And so I think we've made the mystery up there somewhere and the mystery, and I don't mean you've done that. I'm saying, I think that, you know, if it ever comes up, it comes up up there. And I think that uh, it's much more grounded than that for me anyway. We, we could shift that again. So my anchor is about the kids, not us. So we can just shift to us because, uh, you know, uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, the, the kind of direct, exp- again, I'm a broken record on practitioner, right? Like everything for me is if I can't experience it in the body, it doesn't exist. If I can't experience it as practice, I'm not in- interested, right? So very much with you on, on the... Um, unintellectual engagement with these sort of things, you know? Um, so, 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 so then, then let's maybe shift to that then. So, so if you think about, um, your life in the 21st century, right? So like, you know, our rough generations were, you know, like not exactly of the same generation, but close enough. You look around at your peer groups and or yourself, what's different now than it would have been in a pre-digital era, in a pre-sort of everything is connected and um, potentially everything is falling apart era. And maybe nothing's different, right? It may just be the same experience for you. Well, I was raised by someone who grew up in a very traditional home. So that sort of authoritarian God that you were speaking of. And I was raised at a moment when her generation was exploring the relationship God that Joan was discussing in terms of Jesus and, you know, really what does that look like? So she was sort of rebelling against that authoritarian and more what what would a relationship look like? And I, I think my parents then found themselves really drawn to these kind of uh, newer Christian churches, which are very much about lived experience and, and sort of um, Jesus is the center of the religion rather than, um, I think, in the Catholic faith, faith, the Trinity is much more balanced in terms of the role of each. And um, I see this generation similar to what you're saying, or at least for me personally, it's the Holy Spirit that is where I engage most frequently because it's that ineffability, it's the ungraspability of God that... Um, I really have embraced. I still believe in all those sort of traditional notions and I still partake in a lot of those rituals because they are practice and structure for my faith. 
but the daily lived experience is is around the Holy Spirit, around what I often refer to with Joan as the portal, this this idea of of the threshold to to the unknown, but a deep intimacy with it and a belief in that which I can't know. In terms of your question about how the digital versus pre-digital meet each other, I listen to the Bible every morning via a podcast, you know, and that's how I start my day before I ever get out of bed. I, I lay there and, and listen to the word of God. And then, you know, throughout the day, I have certain practices. If I see a certain thing, it's a call to prayer for me because I, I loved, I spent a lot of time in the Middle East and I loved the um, Muslim call to prayer. And so I've found certain things where if I note them, that's my call to prayer, just a reminder. So that way it's not just something I do at the beginning and the end of day, but have sort of brief interludes with all the time. And I took some like modern day superstitions, like when the clock is all the same time, that's a call to prayer. Um, and so that's how the sort of digital and, and the traditional weave together for me. A traditional church is still very much a spiritual place, a place where I find and meet God, but it's also in every hotel room I am, in nature, in every spot of beauty, as we've talked about on this podcast before, very much in art for me. There's a deep spiritual connection that comes from awe, wonder, transcendence, which I am able to find through poetry, through literature sometimes, and, and certainly through art. I think we're all three aligned on the, on the you know, um, what what uh, what the Christians call Holy Spirit? You know, I'd have different words for it, but I can get behind that. You know, and and again, for me, practice by right. Holy Spirit's in the body. It's in now. It's in the moment. It's not in the head. It's in, you know. Uh, so yeah, yeah, very much aligned on that. I, I'm curious though if you see any any um, you know same question as 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 with young people. You know, folks in their you know 40s and 50s, kind of you know established. I don't know if they're, you know, that, that, that group I don't pay attention to on these topics. So I don't know if they're still going to church. I don't know if they're still going to church the way they used to. I don't know if they, in, in, and, and again, talking about an entire generation, you know, it's broad generalization. So, so you know, that, with that acknowledged, I don't know if they're going to church. I don't know if they're um, as engaged. I mean, I have a speculation uh, uh, that, 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 that we've doubled down on, on one end of the bell curve, you know, the kind of fundamentalists. And not only am I going to church and believing in authority, but I, man, I, I am, I'm like locked in. I got the tattoo, you know, and that's across faiths. We're seeing in, in India, I mean, it's, it's in absolute insanity. You know, the, the notion of a fundamentalist Hinduism is like, I, you know, it's like a hairy bald man. It doesn't make sense. Like it's just because it's just the nature of that philosophy, it just doesn't make sense to be fundamentalist. And and yet in India, you've got a massive fundamentalist movement going on uh, that is on the verge of genocide, and maybe maybe beyond the verge, you know. So so I can see that happening. You know, is a certain you know uh, a tail of the bell curve, as I said, that that um, is not only still going to quote unquote traditional church, traditional notions of a you know um, um, God as authority figure. Um, but they're doubling down on it. But I'm I'm curious about the you know the the, the larger middle because those folks you know they, they get they get a lot of attention as in all domains. But they're probably 10 percent of the population, maybe 20 max, right? But the uh, the large populations in the middle of of, of middle aged folks, you know, 40s, 50s, even 60s, are they going to church? How are they engaging? What are they playing with? Um, 
Uh, what's the broad trend? And I, I, I don't know as I have a sense of that. You know, when I think about adults I know, I, I, again, speculation, um, but I don't think a lot of them engage formally with religion, which doesn't mean that they don't believe in, you know, something bigger, something broader, don't have a, you know, experience of something bigger, don't have an experience of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean any of that, but I don't know if any of them go to any formal religious practice or institution or place or anything like that anymore. And I'm curious if, if that's the same for you and when you think about your circles, professional or personal. I, I don't have that data either or whatever. So just, uh, just anecdotal. But I do work with a lot of people and we talk about resources and resourcing and those kind of resources come into those conversations, right? So I, so I do have a sense of, of some breadth there beyond just my friends and family, let's say. And what I would say, and I think this typically happens uh, among the people who are in their 40s, 50s now, uh, that, you know, if you do the generation thing, the generation Xers, right, the middle people here, a uh, smaller population of people who I think we often miss as the tip of the spear of some of this deconstruction that we're talking about with young people. Right. I think that those are the people who really came up in that post-60s deconstruction and had been prompted to begin questioning things. And uh, because of their size, because of how long it takes for things to deconstruct or whatever it is, uh, perhaps didn't have the obvious impact on that deconstructing that the people who followed them, but I think were often uh, the ones who were beginning to not go to church, were beginning to uh, consider uh, Eastern faith in their Western religion, were beginning to either integrate or bastardize, depending upon how you look at it, all of the traditions into, you know, woven uh, kind of faith traditions of their own making. Uh, for right, wrong, or um, I think in the long term, it'll be more right than it has been in the short term, right? It's part of deconstructing is, is, is blowing shit up and, and messing it up and, and so on and so forth. And I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see a hundred years from now where all of this deconstruction lands, because I think those are the time horizons that we need to have in order to really determine how, you know, things that are, are breaking now might come together uh, for good or for bad. So I see a lot of spiritual but not religious or like nuns. There's a lot of, uh, that's N-O-N-E-S, language coming out of people who identify themselves as neither religious nor atheistic, right? So there's this middle place and people having a desire to have something I also, and I've talked about it on this podcast before, wind up uh, touching into recovery circles. And I think that recovery, the numbers of people who encounter recovery are very, very large in this country. So the whole notion of power greater than oneself, God as we understand it, that comes out of recovery. I think some of that has, has drifted into culture in and outside of recovery circles. But I think that's the vibe that I see among those people. And so there's a desire to have a, a landing place, whether it's a physical place or a, a, a philosophical place or a psychological place, uh, but also a lot of sense of wandering at best and lostness at worst in that inquiry. I don't know many people who aren't fundamentalists who go to church on the regular, unfortunately. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't see that as being a commonality. What I hear the most is I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. Or I was raised in this religion. It doesn't feel right for me and I haven't found another one. So I'm sort of somewhere in the middle. But developing my own practices, you know, whatever those look like, I think a lot of time that means belief without ritualized practice, um, which I think contributes to some of that lostness you're describing, um, Joan. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel very fortunate, actually, that I, I do still feel very much grounded in the Catholic religion I was raised in. And I feel very comfortable as an adult rejecting portions of it that do not work for me, taking the parts that do, and then supplementing that with, you know, I, I also listen to a secular Buddhism pa- um, podcast almost every single day because I'm very interested in Eastern values and and living a good life, being a good person, what that looks like. And, and I'm very happy I've come into a place in my life where those can live side by side. I don't see that as a challenge to my belief system where I can have both the traditional practices of the church at my disposal, communion, confession, mass, which are all places I find a great deal of comfort, but also my personal practices of of God being everywhere, of God not needing to only be accessed in a church, of there not being condemnation just because you don't go to church every Sunday, of the ability to take communion even if you haven't been to confession, those things that are, differ from how I was raised. And um, I wish more people had that sort of grounding to then depart from because I think it allows you that exploratory space with your faith where you don't feel unmoored by it. But I, that's not what I'm seeing. Yeah, it's, um, um, you know, these Tuesday tea communities and, and let's say today's Thursday. We're recording this. Is Thursday. It Thursday? Thursday. It's Thursday. Okay, so we're not going to have one out here today. But um, yes, we run Tuesday teas on non Tuesdays. Uh, uh, this is one tomorrow, and there's you know, um, and and very much in alignment with both with both of you saying there's just an absolute drought of of you know church like experiences, but a very strong aversion to going into an institution that I've got a lot of baggage around and that you know has done things I don't care for and that. Again, just even in the background of, of my thinking, in the context of the world we're in, I, I'm using not I, me personally, right, but just, you know, uh, uh, citizens of the world um, or of the U.S. Uh, uh, in the context of the world we're living in, the notion of going to the structured place with an authority up front, kind of, it just doesn't feel right to a lot of people. But these circles, you know, I can't tell funders we're doing church, right? But 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 that is that is how we, you know, those of us who, who kind of steward the space, not even run it, it's a pretty loose Space, if you look at it, it looks more like a Quaker circle than anything else. Um, but that is sort of our understanding of it, I think. You know, there's no, there's no, it, 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 the, the experience that emerges is church, you know, um, not any particular church. But, uh, and for me, it's a reflection of, I think, uh, where I picked this up, my, my grandfather, who I talk about a lot, my maternal grandfather. Both my grandfathers were, were pretty intense dudes, but in very different ways. Very, very different ways. Uh, but my maternal grandfather, who's like easily the single most you know, important influence on me, you know, in India, like, like the God thing is everywhere because God is everything, right? And so you got a little you know, mini temple in your home. You know, every, every single home has this little thing. Every morning, you wake up, I remember my father every single day, and my mother every single day. 
you wake up, you get clean, you take a shower, you don't need anything. But first you got to get clean, take a shower, bath, whatever. And then you go and you light the thing at the at the you know, little mandir, little temple in the house. You offer a little food to God. And now you can eat and now you can go out with your day. It's just, it's, so it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And my grandfather would be like, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going. We're not doing that in the house. I mean, we can do it in the house if anybody else, my grandmother, like big, you know, like we're not doing that. And what he'd say is, my religion is other people. And that's how he lived his life. And, and, and you know, that wasn't an idea for him. That wasn't a, a set of rules for him. It was just like, like, if you want to know what religion is to me, it's other people. It's relationship, right? Fundamentally, that's how he lived his life. And he was, he was you know, he was, a, he was a giant. I mean, he was a dirt poor man, but he was a giant in the community uh, in terms of how people held him, you know, relationally. And that's kind of where, you know, what I said last week in the room, like everything we work on is, you know, we tell the MEOL or here, it's like, what do you work, you know, ultimately all we're working on is relationship, you know, to yourself, to other people, to the world, and all we're working with is listening. And so all those things kind of converge, you know, the notion of the Holy Spirit, the notion of not, you know, being, need to be in, you know, a particular place, you know, all these things sort of, uh, uh, for me, boil down to the thing emerges in relationship. Right. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to mean I need to be with other people, but the thing emerges in relationship. And, and when I'm kind of present with myself in relationship with myself in a very present way, the thing emerges, whatever it is. You know, the thing is present or at least I'm aware to it in relationship with others. And, you know, and it's verb, you know, it's verb. It's, it's not noun. And I think that's, again, it, you know, no data, no actual research, just experiential, anecdotal. That's the, the, the pivot point that I see people, you know, stuck on, you know, God, bigger than me, whatever noun. Um, they kind of get stuck on that, I think. And when you can, you know, kind of introduce an engaged experience of it, you know, that, that thing, whatever you want to call it, as verb, as interactive, as, you know, relational, it loosens up. And traditional church doesn't allow for that. Traditional church allows for just the structure, just the design of it. Again, not the experience of any particular one, but um, the structure of it, it, it kind of lends itself to, here's a thing, and now, you know, you behave relative to that thing. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, cruder, but more common manifestations of church. I think in some ways for me, and I've said this before, I am grateful that I didn't grow up in the structure. I was familiar with the structure. There were people in my life who had the structure, right? So I found myself in the structure for funerals, weddings, and, you know, whatever, from family members. But I think that not having to organize around my feelings about what had happened or didn't happen for me in church as a child different than you, right? You're relying on that. I think for me, I may have had a bigger challenge, but also I had, I came to faith fully experientially with no context for it. And so, and didn't want it and was embarrassed and didn't tell people for X number of years and was pissed actually. I was very, very happy to not believe. <laughs> and then I did believe, but with no context whatsoever for what it was I believed. I just knew it was all true and had no idea what it was. Uh, and that launched a 
desperate inquiry because while I can really understand people pulling away from the authority notion when one feels like they're having a heart attack, have their legs go out from under them, are sick for six days, and now believe everything is true, it is very, very hard to ignore the authority. <laughs> and that is the experience that I had. Uh, so I did not choose it. It chose me, and, uh, and, that, and I thought that that's how it happened. So then I began to go to people, like priests and pastors, and other people and say, you know, like when you felt like you were having a heart attack and your legs went out from under you and all of that, like, how do I deal with this? And they looked at me like I was crazy and said, what the hell are you talking about? Until I found a group of beautiful Benedictine monks on the, <laughs> on the Hudson River in Esopus who uh, were kind enough to particularly Brother Bernard, who was, who's fantastic because he's like a formal, you know, he was a, he was a, investment banker turned <laughs> Benedictine monk, uh, who I have met with regularly for 17 years to try to make sense of what the hell happened to me. My husband, who happens to be sitting at this table, was sitting next to me when it happened. And, um, you know, it, it, and for 20 years now, I have been just making sense of that. And so we did try to make sense of it in church. And, and it was like, you know, I'm like the freaking Goldilocks of all of this, you know, of like showing up here and being like, yeah, that's not it. And showing up there and being that's not it. And I don't go to church, but I do have a relationship with this group of monks uh, who help me. I'm also open to have a relationship with anybody else who's going to make me <laughs> help me make sense of it, whether they are monks in the Christian tradition or whatever. Um, a, a nun uh, at St. John's where I teach uh, has been instrumental. One priest at St. John's, I'm not Catholic, and they know I'm not Catholic, but they're, you know, just helping me out. I'm not Episcopal like my monks. I'm not anything, but I'm everything in the sense that, you know, I am devout in my pursuit of trying to understand what the hell this is and why, not even why, I don't really care very much why, as much as I care about what it means for how I'm supposed to walk in the world. And so that is particularly anecdotal, experiential, and contextual. And as a result, it drives the way I think about things that make it hard to have the philosophical conversation because I don't understand what the hell happened. And I can't make an argument for what happened and how it happened and whatever. I just know that I get a sense there's certain things I'm supposed to do and I do them even if they don't make sense. And that it's led me on a really, really interesting ride. And when I talk to young people about that, and I do, it is something that they are compelled to consider as possibly available to them as well. Right. And so that, and I don't go out and evangelize that. It comes up in conversation. And I actually only talk about it when it comes up in conversation uh, in that way. But it just opens the notion to me that, there, that we are humans and we suck and we're really, really arrogant and prideful and that there's some shit going on that we can't even imagine is going on and that we can do our best to structure it the best that we can. But I don't love the idea of making it all about church and structures, but I also don't like it, the idea of just making it about 
you know, any other kind of construction that we make it because I think that there's something going on that's bigger than what we can try to figure out. Thank you for spending some time with us in this conversation. If you have any comments on what you've heard, we'd love to hear from you. The best way to do that is on Clubhouse. We run a live social audio conversation on Thursdays at noon Eastern time. Visit us at ajar.substack.com for a link to that Clubhouse room, as well as all of the Ajar articles and information on upcoming events.